This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. This is Mike here, your co-host, and you are listening to the Conquering Columbus podcast, where we bring you the stories of all of the incredible people that are doing amazing things here in our great city. And on this episode, we spoke with Sarah Sable-Antry about her story and the story of HCR Path. So during this show, you'll hear about how Sarah established herself as a leader in the hearing industry. I'd kind of gotten a nice name for having a pretty successful business. So then the consulting opportunities really started to kind of pop up out of nowhere. And I've sort of just gotten a reputation in the hearing industry for being a bit aggressive, but being able to really get in there and solve problems, look at the whole of the problem, figure out the different resources. And I kind of like to figure it out and then walk away and let somebody else do the maintenance. As well as the problem that Sarah saw that made her want to start HCR Path and drive more preventive care for patients. I would look at my neighbor and he was diagnosed with cancer. And I thought, wow, that could be my dad. And you just start realizing our entire healthcare system is triage. We treat high risk, high cost all day long because that's what's reimbursed. But if we seriously took 10 steps back and we started talking about preventative health, as simple as eating healthy, making sure you're getting your screenings, making sure you're doing your immunizations, all these things, because the more and more we understand about our healthcare system, the more we realize the patients are not at the center of our healthcare system. We wrap up with how HCR Path works now and where they're heading from a technology perspective in the future. In the MPP, I wouldn't say that it's true AI, but it absolutely in the future versions, it will be. That's such an important part of it is that predictive risk. And a lot of that will be based on just, you know, mass amounts of data coming in from multiple people will allow us to have a stronger AI background. So thanks so much for tuning in. As always, we hope you enjoy this interview and let's dive right into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike, and we've got the full booth today. Josh, Tim, what's going on? Who's going to talk first? Dude, I saw Tim at the crew game. Yeah, that's right. I did. He didn't. He, he kind of like big time in, though. He walked, by, he, walked by, he walked by and he's like, hurt. And then I look, I go to turn around like, OK, now we're going to, you know, do like the dap hug thing. And then we're going to show people we like each other. And he's like, oh, I got to go. My seats are getting taken. I'm like, you literally you, they literally you have the ticket with a number on the seat. Nobody's taken it. <laughs> this, that could have been a and more then he's actually started running version of what happened. He walked up and I had just walked in and I was like, hey, uh-huh. didn't see me. I had to like so tap him on the shoulder you. and then he turned around and was like, hey, and I was already like kind of walking away. Yeah. So it was actually the opposite. As he was walking towards Josh, me, I, I gave him like you. the, yeah, I gave him yeah, like yeah. the, hey, I, we know each other. And he was just like, mm-mm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was slightly, uh, I'd had a couple blue moons. Yeah, I think I was right. just kind of drifting down that hallway in my defense. There's so many people too, man. Like I didn't like groups of, of humans before this, but now that we're back after a year and a half of not being in crowds, I don't know. It just, it's bringing it out. I mean, like they just touch you and bump into you. And like, I'm tall. One thing I've noticed is people, when they look at a line to cut through the line, they pick the highest point and walk through Right. Hmm. So they're just always cutting wherever I am. And they just hit you and they're like grubbing on it. Oh man. So the bumping I, is a big, it's a big, no, don't big. love it. Don't I, love I will it. say that stadium does a really good job and you don't talk to anybody when you walk in fabulous. That's how mm-hmm. things should you have just been. Scan, yeah. 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you get in there, there's just big wide hallways and food and alcohol everywhere. So yeah. they did a great job. Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, we saw each other very briefly and just so, ran wait, away. You don't talk to anybody when you walk in. Is there like security or something? Yeah, like, they have yeah. like, they have two pretty state of the art systems. They have a ticket scanning where you literally just scan your ticket and it like unlocks the rotation thing. Uh-huh. And then they have these big x-ray things that you walk through and there's somebody monitoring it. Got if it. you have a bag, you got to get checked. And if you have anything that's sets off a certain, you know, mm-hmm. parameter. Oh, yeah. But most people, I pull my phone and my keys out and I just walk through and it's fine. Nice. It's actually 
I mean, from all the stadiums and airports and stuff like that, it's probably like one of the best experiences. Cool. Cool. Well, on that note, maybe we should get to talking about our guest today. So today on the show, we'll be talking with Sarah Sable-Antry. And Sarah is the co-founder and CEO of HCR Path. And HCR Path is a healthcare tech startup focused on helping providers provide better continuity of care for seniors while helping seniors get better preventive care to help improve outcomes. And Sarah spent years observing the ways comorbidities such as depression, substance abuse, and dementia impacted people with undiagnosed hearing loss. And the importance of prevention got personal when a close family member's condition worsened due to uh, hearing loss not being diagnosed soon enough. So this solidified her determination to find a way to make sure health issues were flagged and diagnosed early on to avoid bigger problems down the road. And her technology patent for HCR Path was granted in 2018, and she earned the support of Rev1 Ventures, a venture capital firm in Columbus, Ohio, in 2019. We're excited to have Sarah on the show to talk about her story, the story of HCR Path, and more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Sarah. Thank you very much. Yeah, it is exciting to have you here today and uh, appreciate you coming into uh, the recording studio here to talk with us. Uh, one of the first places, Sarah, we like to start is just get a little bit of background on yourself. And I mean, I, we mentioned as far back as, you know, being involved in these, this field, but uh, maybe starting as far back as have you always lived in Columbus? No, I have not. I've lived here for a long time, but I actually grew up in a tiny little town on the Ohio River called Caddis. No one has ever heard of that. So we had to say... Pittsburgh, and then Youngstown, and then Steubenville to get to anywhere near that area. So super small town, coal miner's daughter, grew up very blue collar, probably a big part of who I am today. So um, yeah, grew up there, went to Ohio State, lived in Utah for a bit, New Jersey, and then we came back to Columbus in 2012, been here since. What was the travel for? My job, still traveling all the time. Um, my full-time gig is I'm a consultant for a Danish firm. So last one, I was either in LA or Denmark every week. I, I was going to say, years. well, I was about to ask Danish, like the, like, like I was the country, uh, <laughs> not, not the pastry. Yeah. I was imagining. No, she, she for consults company. for pastries. That is the, the, if did you have said, I consult for pastries. You have said so many dumb things on this podcast, but that is hands down. <laughs> that was the a most joke. ridiculous. No, it was that was not a joke. I'm gonna blow your. I'm gonna that blow your mind. Not a joke. There's a I reason looked, why they're called Danishes too. Because they're from. Oh. They're wait, not. Wait they're not. Danes hate our pastries because they feel like it's a total slap in the face. Because they're very clean eaters, and they're like, we would never eat this. That's crap. like all they're known for. In the it's United like Foster's. States. Foster's right. beer. All Australians hate Foster's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I got there and I, I made that, and then they were like, no, we don't drink it. Yeah. It makes sense. Guinness in Ireland, right? All right. Well, so what, what was your degree yeah. in at Ohio yeah, State? I'm sure so. it wasn't pastries. <laughs> that would be a great degree, though. I would, would I would get that one easy. <laughs> so it was actually in speech and hearing. My undergrad's in speech and hearing. So the phonetics discussion, I spent many years learning how to speak clearly. And then I did some um, clinical hours where I worked with stroke patients and TBI clinic and realized, oh, wow, I can't do this. It was kind of heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So I chose more the hearing profession. And then I did an MBA at Otterbein at night, like most people. So that's when you started getting into the consulting side of things. Kind of, yeah. I've, I've had a weird career path, but the hearing industry, and it's funny we talk about the hearing industry because it's such a small part of HCR path, but it really is the catalyst as to how it all started. I ended up having private practices back in the Ohio Valley and did really well with those and kind of got a little bit bored. So I got picked up by a company in Utah. I went out and did some merger and acquisition business for them, and then I got picked up by Siemens. So I got to work for a you know Fortune 5 company, which was extremely cool to go from being a small business entrepreneur to all of a sudden, you know, procurement determines who you can and can't speak with, which was good because I learned a lot about processes. And, and then after that, I was recruited for a startup 
in the medical device space based in Los Angeles. So lived here and ignored my family for about five years, flying across the country and uh, across the world and really got to do some super cool things, experience a lot. And, um, you know, every experience kind of changes who you are. So very thankful for the career path I have. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So it sounds like you kind of got the full experience, right? You got to work at big firms, small firms, startups. What made you decide you wanted to go off on your own and start something yourself? I would love to say that's a short story, but it never is, right? First, We're not here for short stories. Good, good. Not too long, though. We only got uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> okay, I'll take 40. So first startup was when I had my own private practices, and I literally got a very nice commission check. I was an outside sales rep, and it's like most entrepreneurs, I can do this better. And I thought, why not? So my MBA program, we had to come up with a business plan. I literally wrote how to do a private practice because that's where I was spending all my time. And when I say private practice, it's working directly with the patients that need amplification. So they might have dizziness, they might have tinnitus, they might have hearing loss, but we provided those services. So we worked with hospitals and you know, huge manufacturing companies to focus on untreated hearing loss just all over the place, which was really cool. And it was, I hate to say it, but it was easy. You know, I mean, having a very, very small business with kind of a one-to-one relationship with patients, if you're really part of that community, you know, sponsoring the local Christmas fairs and, you know, really being on the Kiwanis, it was, it was easy. And that was when I was 26. So by the time I was 31, I was getting a little bit bored and I'd kind of gotten a nice name for having a pretty successful business. So then the consulting opportunities really started to kind of pop up out of nowhere. And I've sort of just gotten a reputation in the hearing industry for being a bit aggressive, hmm. um, but being able to really get in there and solve problems, look at the whole of the problem, figure out the different resources. And I kind of like to figure it out and then walk away and let somebody else do the maintenance. So is that private practice still around or did you end up? Sold it to Siemens, okay, which was nice. Um, so now as a consultant, I'm still in the hearing industry. I work for Great Nordic. It's a audio company based out of Denmark. So. Okay. And then when does the idea for HCR Path come around? Yeah. So when I was working for Siemens, my primary job was to figure out how do you get more patients in the door? And as you said in the beginning, untreated hearing loss is really linked to comorbidities. So when you think of people who have diabetes, you don't necessarily think someone has a hearing loss. When someone is diagnosed with dementia, you don't think, well, they probably should have had their hearing loss treated, but that's exactly what it is. And in 2011, uh, Medicare started incentivizing physicians to start talking more about preventative health care. And at that time, I was guiding audiologists and hearing care providers to really strike up a physician relationship based on the hearing health care you provide as part of the patient's overall health care. And there was a lot of different things within Medicare that were helping to, to steer that. So I started doing that in 2011. As a matter of fact, in 2015, when we were looking at how important hearing loss was, um, that's when I filed my patent because I knew that the traditional avenue to get hearing aids, which are extremely expensive, five, $6,000, that just wasn't going to be sustained 
So there's a lot going on right now. The FDA is actually getting ready to finally release it. Um, President Biden just issued a 90-day mandatory release, and it is literally the technology that I patented in 2015. Um, so it's just selection of products. 2018, it got granted, and ever since then, it was sort of, okay, I put the money into this, I put the time into this, how much risk am I willing to take on? And the more I started working on the idea. I got in touch with Rev1 through Columbus 2020. They liked the idea and really just starting to talk about it and see the interest. But it was really interesting at Rev1 when we did the product lab, they kind of have you come in and you got to get up and pitch it. And I got up and I started talking about hearing loss and physicians and everyone's kind of looking at me like, what's the connection? And immediately I realized it's too niche. The focus is preventative health in general for patients. That's what physicians care about. That's what insurance is paying for. And quite honestly, when it comes down to it, that's what patients need. So it was really taking a step back and typically you don't broaden your focus. You typically narrow your focus, but it was interesting to realize my background was maybe creating a little bit of um, me being myopic. So it was really cool to be able to take a step back and then be able to digitize something that Medicare supports, physicians support, patients need. And that's where HCR Path is today. We're, um, we're ready to launch it. So it's kind of cool. It's a long journey, but it's been, been really interesting. Lots of opportunities to learn. It's been a good, good thing. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So double click on that preventative maintenance portion mm-hmm. that you were talking about. Can you unpackage that for me a little bit? Yeah, and I'm going to do that a little bit through a story because I feel like everybody has this in their in their background. So I mentioned earlier, I grew up on the Ohio River, very small town. And by the time most of the men there were 50 um, from being coal miners, mill workers, they were broken, you know, severe arthritis, lung issues, lots of alcoholism, quite frankly, because of the god-awful hours. And you just see these people, diabetes and all these other things. It's a huge part of that area. And, you know, Appalachia doesn't get a lot of attention because it's not sexy or, you know, hillbilly elegy was like the biggest thing that came out of there. But um, it's a way of life. It's absolutely a way of life. And so, you know, I would look at my neighbor and he was diagnosed with cancer. And I thought, wow, that could be my dad. And I looked at you know, a high school teacher who was, you know, stricken with cancer. And I thought, oh, that could be my mom. And and you just start realizing you're in an environment that is triage. And our entire healthcare system is triage. We treat high risk, high cost all day long because that's what's reimbursed. That's what the pharmaceutical companies go after. But if we seriously took 10 steps back and we started talking about preventative health, yes, as simple as eating healthy, making sure you're getting your screenings, uh, making sure you're doing your immunizations, all these things, treating your hearing loss. Because the more and more we understand about our healthcare system, the more we realize the patients are not at the center of our healthcare system. Mm-mm. And honestly, you know, ultimate goal is to truly give the power of healthcare to the patients. So that's kind of the long-term goal. But for right now, it is really dialing in on how do you change the system? And every question I have starts with, how does this impact the patient? So how exactly does HCR Path help with that? Yeah, excellent question. Shocking that you asked me that, right? <laughs> so- Good job, Mike. Yeah. 
Come on, asking the tough ones. Yeah, so it's interesting because in you know, back in 2015, if you went to a physician's office, you would pretty much sit there and they would hand you a stack of papers and you would have your pen and you would have to show up 10 to 15 minutes early and you would fill out all the paperwork. Mm-hmm. 2018, um, we started to see tablets being presented in the physician's office to sort of you know talk to their EHR systems because you know from an electronic health record standpoint, that's how they drive their business. And so initially what we were doing was let's take away the inefficiency of using paper and pen Let's digitize it, and let's also make it where the patient can fill this out at home. So if it's PHI compliant, um, because a lot of people, when you're asking for family history, I, I couldn't tell you my parents, you know, year that they had this surgery or they were diagnosed. Um, and I think it's really important that you own your own health care. And we don't. Our health data is disparate at best. You know, my dad broke his leg one time. He had a major, major femur break, uh, spiral fracture. So he was taken to Ohio State for that. Well, his primary care is through the VA. His endocrinologist is independent. And then he's had some follow-on testing and things through Ohio Health. Who owns his health information? Not him. Right. Well, I, the, the thing I think of is whenever I try and figure out my vaccination records, they're, I don't know where they're at. They're, I got them when I was two, one, yep. you know, and yep. they're just gone. I have a 12 and 14 year old and I can't keep up with it and it's, it's available. Right. So there's no way that I'm at that age now too, at 44, my parents are starting to require a little more attention. So I'm a big part of their healthcare. So where HCR path really comes in is patients live in a variety of areas today, right? You could be in a senior living facility and your family is states and states away. You could be independent. You could be living with your spouse. You could be living with your child. But the person loses that ability to just tell people their health story. And HCR Path really captures that in a very formulaic way. But what it also does is sort of an if this, then that. So if I indicate anxiety or depression, it'll then give you the next screener, which is a PQH9. It's very well known in the medical community. So by the time, you know, a patient spends 20 minutes on this, it's recognized by Medicare, it's billable for physicians, and it then becomes the you know, fundamental health history of that patient that at the end of the day can also start to say, based on your answers, we need you to focus in this area. Mm -hmm. So it might make a recommendation. Like if I plug in certain things, it might make a recommendation and say, for instance, hey, Mike, you need to, your cholesterol levels are high. You should go on a diet because you're putting yourself at higher risk for a heart attack. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, a lot of people just, I'm really, really bad about it. I don't go to the doctor, fight it, whatever, just, you know, push through. That's what you do. And what I'm realizing is a lot of things I'm putting off, putting off, putting off. The longer you put it off, the harder it is to treat. And then, of course, you can't find the root of the problem because you're presenting with a symptom. And so it's really meant to not mask symptoms, but be able to identify a patient from day one. But it's got to start earlier than what we typically see today. Isn't that the doctor's responsibility? Like, how does that unfold and and how do those two things work together? You know, I think the physicians want that to be their responsibility. We did a lot of qualitative and quantitative research. And one of the questions we asked physicians, you know, do you want to spend time on preventative care? Overwhelmingly, yes. Do you wish that you had a one-page condensed document to give you next steps for your patient for consultative and ancillary services? Overwhelmingly, yes but that's not the state of our healthcare. Very few independent physicians exist these days because in order to participate in healthcare, you need a dedicated IT system, you need a dedicated compliance system. So our physicians are so caught up on 
you know, the software, the HR side, making sure they're compliant with insurance and Medicare that, you know, Josh, it's a great question. And I feel a little bit altruistic when I say this, they should be focusing on preventative health, but that's not how our reimbursement system works. And so until that healthcare financial and revenue flow is broken, I don't expect to see a big change. So this is essentially, I don't mean to boil it down in a negative way, just to keep things simple in my mind and the concept. It's like a workflow system that has a series of inputs that are giving outputs based on expert recommendations, such as your side, like the expertise that you have on the hearing side, you could identify certain things that someone might say that would cause you to realize, okay, now now we need to check this because it could be a deeper sign of this. So you're taking that knowledge, you're packing it into a system, and then you're just providing that in a digital format to the patient that then pushes data back to the doctor. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I don't feel offended by any means. I think if you can explain a product in a simplified manner, then that's part of the challenge and you just did it. So thank you. I think I actually made it really, really confusing. I was trying to find my way out of the sentence (laughs) halfway through it. (laughs) No, and, and the whole key is to not take the physician out of the relationship because it is medical advice. And so you don't want this, you know, to be some sort of infomercial where treat yourself. That's not the point of this. The goal is to absolutely continue to engage with your physician and the nurse providers and all the other ancillary services, but it's an overwhelming process. And just being able to sit down and prioritize it and understand from sort of an if this, then that perspective, you know, if you've got five major issues and your physician can say, let's address this one in two weeks, this one in four weeks, the system can also then keep track to make sure from an outcome measure perspective, you are following through. Because there are different initiatives with Medicare that the more outcome measures you provide from a physician to a patient, the higher the reimbursement is. So we're, we're on the cusp of seeing some of these financial and revenue levers that can actually motivate the physicians to focus on preventative health care. But yeah, it's a survey. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. How did you go from UAT to where we're at today? Yeah, it's been an interesting process because I think initially we thought this is going to be in a kiosk in the physician's office. And in 2018, that was a pretty decent approach. But when COVID hit and all of a sudden you can't be touching tablets and people weren't coming into the office, it was all about how do you distribute this to the end user? And so we actually did our user acceptance testing. The first part of this was, are these the right questions? And we went to a senior living facility in Dublin, met with a bunch of different patients. They filled out the, sem- the survey and they were able to give us really good feedback. Is this the right question? Is it giving us the answers we need? Are they able to use it? And what we learned is it needs to be hardware agnostic. And it really pivoted from being more of this tablet physician to more of a SaaS, a true SaaS. And so then the development switched over 
to really, you know, shift to allowing the patients to work at home. And that way, if they need, you know, a caregiver to help them answer questions or patients today can be up on, you know, 20 different medications. So to be able to sit down in your own home and fill all that out from a comprehensive standpoint, UAT taught us that we need to move away from the hardware and really focus on the delivery. Our next avenue then is once we realize senior living facilities have a very captive audience, um, most people move into a senior living facility and they lose their primary care physician. They might have a medical doctor on staff that comes in once a month or so, but their day-to-day is really not being addressed except for typically nurse practitioners. So what we found is that nurse practitioners are mandated to provide this survey, yet there's really no EHR system designed for this type of approach. The group we're working with for a pilot, they were actually using an Excel spreadsheet. And so from a data standpoint and a compliance standpoint, they recognized it wasn't the most opportune. So they saw this as compliant. They saw this as a revenue generator. They saw this as an efficiency. They saw this as better healthcare, um, comprehensive view of the patient. So um, yeah, it's been received very, very well. And that transition has allowed us to make kind of those next steps. So something I'm curious about, I understand, so I I think up to this point, I understand the product, I understand the problem, but what is the revenue model behind the whole thing? Are you charging, uh, because I can't imagine you'd be charging patients, so there's got to be, is there a charge to the clinics or whoever's using it, and do they provide it to their patients that way? Like, how does that all work? Yeah, great question. Um, So Medicare actually pays for the survey. So as long as the survey, once the patient um, submits it, it goes to their medical provider, so it could be a nurse practitioner, it could be their physician. We wrap it up, we put it into a nice little tidy you know, presentation for them to simplify it. They review it, and once it's marked as reviewed, they then can bill it. So the average is around $125, and we take a transaction fee. Okay, okay. Is there an artificial intelligence, that's the only way I can describe it, like to, to a lesser degree, component of this that's helping do the if then, then if this, then that? Yeah, so in the MVP, I wouldn't say that it's true AI, but it absolutely in the you know future versions, it will be. That's such an important part of it is that predictive risk. And a lot of that will be based on just, you know, mass amounts of data coming in from multiple people will allow us to have a stronger AI background. And why senior care facilities to start? Captive audience, um, and honestly, a neglected audience. And I don't mean by their families or by the caretakers in the facilities. I mean that if you're not out driving yourself to get your hair done or you're not going to Kroger to shop or you're not going to the physician, you sort of live in a bubble where people have to come to you and they don't do that. There is no you know, rotating primary care that's coming and doing their visits. So there's, there's a necessity. It's a captive audience. They still have Medicare benefits. And usually people in senior living facilities are still really active. You know, they're, they're interested in their health care. They join Silver Sneakers and they use their benefits. The Kaiser Family Foundation, you know, of all the Medicare recipients, there's around 62 million right now in the United States. So the day you, you turn 65, you get Medicare. 40% of them pay out of pocket to have a Medicare benefit plan. And that gives them extra benefit toward eyes, ears, and teeth because they still want to go out. They, you know, they go to restaurants, they go do things. So if they're willing to pay out of pocket for their health care, that tells you that they're still very much engaged in their health care and, you know, having a, a good quality of life. So it just seems to be a really good fit, especially for validation and, you know, MVP. I think we're past MVP. You can't really have a healthcare product that's minimal, right? You got to have something that's fully compliant, but it's just a good place for us to start. And quite frankly, there's not a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. What do you see the biggest challenges going forward then? Going forward, you know, I, I went from being narrow to broad 
And now I think it's the same thing where don't scope creep too much. Everybody has a story in healthcare where like, oh my gosh, I had to go to my oncologist and I filled out all this paperwork and then I had to go to the radiologist and I had to go through all the exact same stuff. You should do this for oncology. And then you hear it on all the other sides. So I think what's happening is the more we talk to people, it would be very, very easy to start chasing a lot of different directions, but we just need to focus on where we are, validate it, and then we can, we can build it out down the road. I think that's the typical entrepreneur's dilemma. Yeah, keeping focus is always important, and it can be, you know, it definitely that uh, that scope creep even kills sales, right? Like if you're talking to, I mean, it happens all the time with some of our pro- prospects and clients where you take on a project that starts like this, and then all of a sudden it turns into this giant monster, and you, well, we're just not going to do it. Yeah. But on that note, then, what are the goals for the future, right? I mean, it sounds like you've got an idea of where you want to be in a year. Do you, have you thought about where you want to be three, five years down the road? Yeah, we've, we've set some pretty decent goals for ourselves as far as number of offices that are utilizing it, number of surveys that we have conducted. Um, I think the ultimate, ultimate goal is, again, to create this sort of personal health diary where it could even turn into a B2C method where the patients are actually doing it themselves. You know, we're all various ages in this room, but we all actually have this as a benefit through our health insurance, too. So, you know, Josh, you asked earlier why the senior market. It's because Medicare incentivizes. But overall, everyone in this room is eligible for this through insurance. So, you know, down the road, I think it's going to be I hate the word ubiquitous, but, you know, it should be something that's on everybody's phone. You pull it out, you add your app, you're at the nurse's station, you add your data and it's done. But for right now, just settle for, you know, 10,000 points of sale. (laughs) No, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I think that's a good place to pivot towards some of our last questions of the show. So uh, the first one, you have any advice for our listeners? A lot of them out there are young professionals, some entrepreneurial-minded folks. What would you tell them? I think ask. I think when you're an entrepreneur, you feel sometimes a little bit timid. You're like, oh, I don't know if my idea is good or not. So just, you know, start sampling, start talking to people. If you're listening and you know a physician or a senior living facility that could benefit, reach out to me, right? You got to ask. Mm-hmm. I think part of it too is realizing what you do and do not know. I'm really good at a lot of things and I'm not good at fundraising and, you know, that's why I need my co-founder. So, you know, Ed Porter is my chief revenue officer. I found him through- We hate that guy here. <laughs> the worst. He's in the room in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> he's here to keep me on track. Um, but, you know, he, he's so as a consultant with Blue Chip CRO, I reached out to him and he really was helping me focus on some of the, the details that, quite honestly, I just I didn't want to deal with it because it was, you know, I'm focused on the software and you got to build a pipeline and you got to think about the fundraising. So another name known around here is Ryan Pressler. He is our chief technology officer. He just had a successful exit from JTrack. So, you know, now I've got this team of people who have done it. My job is to kind of be the storyteller, focus on the future. And I need Ed to really, you know, keep me focused on how do we go about this? How do we go? What's our go-to market strategy? Ryan's really focusing on the technology with our developers. So know what you don't know and don't be afraid to ask. Really good advice. And uh, our last question of the show is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. Without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Well, I listened to your podcast, so I was expecting that. Oh, you cheated. Well, I went with my first reaction that the first one I listened to when I heard you ask that question, it immediately struck me that being an entrepreneur is uncomfortable. Constantly just sitting around thinking of the risk, thinking of next steps. And then what I find really interesting and uncomfortable about being an entrepreneur is it can be pretty solo. 
you know, I'm sitting at my dinner table and everybody's like, hey, how was your day? I can't go into what I did. You know, my parents have no idea what I really do because it's such a complex world being an entrepreneur and especially in a startup. I think it's uncomfortable that sometimes you don't fit into that typical, hey, mm-hmm. what'd you do today? Or, you know, what do you do for a living? So um, I think living uncomfortably as an entrepreneur is just, it's, it's the norm. You just have to get used to it and you sort of build up your threshold and tolerance for it. And eventually it's not uncomfortable. It's pretty darn awesome. Right on. And Sarah, thanks so much for joining us to tell your story. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. And everybody out there listening, hope you enjoyed that episode. That was Sarah Sable Antry from HCR Path. And if you want to hear more interviews just like that one with leaders around Columbus, go ahead, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. You'll get alerts when our episodes post on Mondays. I appreciate you all tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.